Good morning, church. Uh, thankful to be with you guys uh, this morning. Um, total transparency, though, uh, it was a rough night's sleep um, for me, mainly because I woke up at 4 o'clock this morning after having a dream that I preached this message and all of you fell asleep. And I don't mean just fell asleep. I mean y'all were laying in the chairs with blankets on. My daughter was asleep at the back in the floor. Like that's, so I almost woke up and like rewrote an entire message this morning. But I'm trusting the Lord and his, and his will and his providence that this is the message despite the dream that he wants me to declare today. And you can tell me at the end whether I'm right or not. All right, here we go. Uh, but going and open up to Habakkuk, that's where we'll be. Um, Habakkuk chapter 1, um, it's... Um, this is the eighth of the minor prophets that we've studied. Um, it's been a wild journey as we've walked through these. Um, we're going to come back again sometime in the near future and discuss the last four. But um, again, last February, we spent four weeks in these and then the same thing this, this February. Just looking at each one of these books that we so often skip over and don't know a lot about and just trying to get the main idea, just extract the main idea from that one that one book. And so I just wanted to walk back through those again. So far we've seen in Hosea, we saw a God who pursues. In Joel, a God who restores. In Amos, a God who sees. In Obadiah, a God who finishes. In Jonah, we saw a God who teaches mercy. In Micah, a God who remembers his promises. In Nahum, a God who judges evil. And I believe today in Habakkuk, what we're going to see, what, what God's revealed himself to me to be through the book, is a God who deserves our trust. And so as we walk through this today, I do pray that God uses um, the text and what he's laid on my heart um, <clears throat> to talk about in, a, in an important way. So I'm going to begin by reading the first four verses, and then um, we'll, I'll pray and then we'll come back and, and walk through all this. Okay, Habakkuk 1, verse 1. This is the pronouncement that the prophet Habakkuk saw. How long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen? Or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. This is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. Let me pray. Father God, we do thank you for your word. God, I pray that Habakkuk chapters 1 through 3, God, come alive to our hearts and minds today and you give us understanding. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What we see, Habakkuk is a unique prophetic book and that he never addresses people. Most of the prophets are addressed to a particular group of people, but here it's just a conversation between God and Habakkuk. And here's what I'm going to promise you as we walk through this today is that it's going to resonate with a lot of you. Because what Habakkuk does is ask hard questions of God. He asks hard questions of God and then he waits for God's response. And I'm going to be honest with you. What I've found in my life is the times when I grow the most. About The New Testament calls that sanctification, being made more like Jesus. It's the process of growth. 
I believe that's what we're going to see today in the book of Habakkuk. It's Habakkuk's sanctification, Habakkuk's growth, his understanding. But it all started with asking hard questions. And at times in my life where I grew the most, it was because I began asking hard questions. And for whatever reason, when I was a kid, I thought to ask a question of a, a pastor or even my parents, to ask a question about God that kind of had to do with doubt, like was like a sin. And so I just pushed them all down inside. And I just lived through a lot of my early life with all these questions and all these thoughts. And I can remember it finally coming to a head. I was probably 15, 16, 17 years old. And I can remember finally just getting to a place where I was like, man, and I won't go into all the details of what I was wrestling with, but I was wrestling with, I mean, the very existence of God himself. I've been a believer since I was seven years old. This was almost 10 years later. Like, how can a Christian with the spirit of God in him be wrestling with this? But I finally worked up the courage to ask a guy who was a couple years older than me, and I kind of looked at him as a mentor, and I remember sitting down with him and finally working up the courage to go, hey man, how do you find confidence that God is real? And I never forget, like, just breathing hard, that it took me, to, it, it took me so long to get that question out. And I remember his answer. He said, wow, deep question. I guess I see a lot of other people who believe it to be true, so that gives me confidence. And I remember the Spirit of God stirring within me at that moment and whispering in my heart, that was a dumb answer. Don't listen to him. That was bad. Because clearly this is a guy who hadn't wrestled with this question, right? Because he's looking around going, I mean, they all believe it, so it must be true. Like, that's terrible. That's not it. And so... That led me on a journey to begin to study, to begin to worship, to begin to pray. And as hard as those questions were to voice out loud, I'm so glad I did because God answered me. Not audibly, but he answered me through wisdom and other people and through the Spirit of God working in me. And I worked through those questions in my mind and I came out the other end stronger. Now here's what we're going to see. We're going to see Habakkuk ask these hard questions, this progression. He's asking the questions that many people have but are afraid to ask them of God. And we're going to see his progression. So uh, note takers, this is point number one. First thing we see Habakkuk doing is he actually is desiring God's justice. He desires God's justice. You see in just those first four verses that I read, Habakkuk is absolutely fed up with the state of Judah. He's ticked. He's frustrated. He's probably been a prophet in this area for a while. He's watched uh, the northern kingdom. If you haven't been here the last few weeks, Israel at this point is actually split into a northern and southern kingdom. Israel in the north, Judah in the south. And northern kingdom has already fallen to Assyria. So he's watched that happen. And now he's down in, in, in Judah with those who are, who are supposed to be even closer, walking with the Lord, this nation that was founded on obedience to the Creator God, but it's now filled with violence and oppression and wickedness and perversion of justice, an outright ignoring of the very law that God gave them. And Habakkuk says, God, I've been begging you to step in and fix this. I've been begging you to step in here. And he truly does desire God to step in and bring justice for those who are being oppressed. Listen to me when I say this. That's a righteous feeling. Like it's good to look around at the world and know what honors God and to see it not happening around you and go, God, fix this. We don't know what to do. God, fix this. That's what 
He's getting frustrated when the people who have been called by God to be his image bearers on the earth are blowing it so blatantly. And man, it's not so different from where we sit, right? It's not so different. But I want to I push back for just a moment because I know the first place all of our minds go is to the nation around us, the nation that we call home. Maybe because of your political leanings, maybe to the White House right now. Can I just push back against that for a moment and say, first and foremost, the problem in our country is not a political issue. As I told somebody after the first service, if the church was doing what the church is supposed to do, nothing else would be a problem. And so as we begin to talk about, and we've done it for the last four weeks and as we've looked through these, but as you read the Old Testament, it's really quick for us to start thinking about Israel and compare that to our country. But remember, Israel was, was a special time and a special place in which they were, all, they were called as a nation to be obedient to God and to be his image bearers among the nations. And that's the call of the church today. And so I believe even more right in front of our eyes, yes, God, fix our country. Fix. We do see oppression. We see all those things among our country. But among many of those people, it's because they don't know Jesus. <laughs> However, when we look at the church, do we not see these same things that are going on in Judah? People claiming to know Jesus, guilty of violence. Among believers, arguing, bickering, yelling, screaming. Do you not see oppression and wickedness and perversions of justice? What about outright ignoring of the purposes of God and the plan of God? Listen, I'm not saying don't pray for your nation, don't pray for its leaders, or pray for your government as a whole to follow the principles of God, but there is a bigger problem in our world than that. It's those who claim the authority of Christ in their life, yet live for other lords. And each of us can be guilty of that very thing at times in our lives. So if we want to call on God to change the hearts of those in, in, in government or in the White House, for some of you, for the love of all that's good, ask him to start with his house first. Ask him to start with your house first. See, we don't get to choose where God brings his judgment. <laughs> We don't get to say, God, bring justice there, bring justice there. We have to look at our own hearts. And what, I'm, what I believe when we read the Old Testament, if we're going to desire God's justice among the world, we don't get to be selective in where he brings it. And we have to deal with our own hearts and our own house first. And here in the text, Habakkuk calls on God for justice. He says, God, we're, this is a mess, man. The, the, the people around us, the people that are called to follow you are not being obedient. Bring your justice, and God answers him. Different from the way God answered my questions. He actually does it verbally here, beginning in verse 5. This is God's response. Look at the nations and observe. Be utterly astounded, for I'm doing something in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. And here it is. Look, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter, impetuous nation that marches across the earth's open spaces to seize territories not its own. 
This should, should, should mirror, if you were here last week, what was said about Assyria, right? They are fierce and terrifying. Their views of justice and sovereignty stem from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and more fierce than wolves of the night. Their horsemen charge ahead. Their horsemen come from dif- distant lands. They fly like eagles, swooping to devour. All of them come to do violence. Their faces are set in determination. They gather prisoners like sand. They mock Kings and rulers are a joke to them. They laugh at every fortress as they build siege ramps to capture it. And they sweep by like the wind and pass through. They are guilty. Their strength is their God. You see this, God shows Habakkuk here what his plan is for bringing justice. He says, okay, you want justice? Here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to use the Chaldeans. And unless you just are like well aware of what's going on in this period of time, if you studied it a lot, The Chaldeans was the name of a tribe that was in the southern area of Babylon. And they actually, the ones that apparently come to power by this time in Babylon, the kings were from this area of Chaldeans. And so the Chaldeans become synonymous with the the Babylonians. And during this time, Babylon is growing as an empire and it's taking land day by day from other nations. And they don't worship our God. They worship their own God called Marduk and a host of others. And yet here God says it's these people whom he will use to come in and bring justice on Judah. Even though Habakkuk, to this point, Habakkuk's in the southern kingdom. He's watched Israel in the north receive God's punishment through the forces of Assyria. But even though he's watched that, this can't be what he had in mind. As he called out for God's justice, we don't necessarily get writing from the writing how he was expecting it to come about, but we can ballpark he was not expecting the most wicked nation or empire in the world to do it. And that's what happens next. He calls for God's justice, and then he begins to question God's justice. This is Habakkuk 1.12. After he hears the plan, he begins to question it. Listen to how he starts this. Are you not from eternity, Lord my God? My holy one, you will not die. He's saying, God, don't, haven't you been around a minute? Lord, you appointed them to execute judgment. My rock, you destined them to punish us. Should probably have a question mark there, it seems. He says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. And you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? Why are you silent while one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself? You've made mankind like the fish of the sea, like marine creatures who have no ruler. And the Chaldeans are just fishing for him with a hook. They're catching him in their dragnet, gathering him in their fishing net. This is why they are glad and rejoice. It's why they make sacrifices to their dragnet. They burn incense to their fishing net. For it's by these things that their portion is rich and their food is plentiful. Are they going to now empty their net into the boat and continue slaughter nations without mercy? You see in this? Habakkuk's response is, wait a minute. (laughs) I know I called for justice, but hang on. You're going to bring judgment on a nation that's guilty of this much or with a nation that's this much to come and take over a nation that's only guilty of this much. That's his response here. God, that doesn't make sense. Either you hate injustice or you don't. Either you despise evil or you don't. 
As he says, why are you silent while one who is wicked, he uses that word wicked, swallows up one who is more righteous than himself. We can reword it to say less wicked. (laughs) You see, Habakkuk's tune has changed. At the very beginning, we saw Habakkuk, he's fed up with Judah. He's like, man, do something, God. Step in and do what only you can do. But then when God gives him his response, he goes, well, not like that. And like, can I be straight with you? Can I be honest before you? I can't tell you how many many times that's happened in my life. Where I wanted God to do something in my life. I wanted God to to fix the situation. And then he provides his solution. And I go, well, I mean, thanks. But that ain't what I had in mind, God. You know? As I called out to God, I said, God, help me grow. God, help me to trust in your name and your name alone. And then we go through some of the most horrific, painful times in our family. And I look back on that and I go, man, what a terrible time that was. But I look on the other side and I go, did I not come out of that difficulty trusting God more? Yikes. That ain't what I meant, God. (laughs) It's not what I meant. And so many times we question, God, God, why would you do this this way? Why are you, why are you going to accomplish your will that way? Do you have to do it that way? I, because see, Habakkuk's accusations here, they're not against Babylon. Yes, I mean, they're, he hates them. But he accuses God of not caring about his creation. Do you see that? He said, you've made mankind like the fish of the sea, man. And you're just letting the, Chal- the Chaldeans fish for them. They're just p- plucking them out of the water one at a time. And then they got bored with that, and you're just letting them drag a net across the known world and take them all over. God, what are you doing? This is Habakkuk's question. No matter how many they catch, they keep going for more. He says, are are you just going to let them empty their net into the boat and just go on? Just keep existing. And I don't know... uh, how many times you've had someone point a finger in your face? I had a basketball coach who had a big finger. And I can remember many times, usually on the bench, because that's where I sat a lot on the bench, keeping the seats warm. Somebody's got to do it. He would hear me joking around. <laughs> and I would get the finger in my face. There's something about that. Now, coming from a coach, it's different. Right? Coming from another player on my team, it's a little iffy. I may get up in your face. But when my daughter or my son, someone who God has placed me in authority over, puts their finger in my face, yeesh. That's what we have here. Habakkuk standing before the God of all creation going, why are you doing it this way? This is huge. This is a big point. But Habakkuk, listen to me. As we can give him a hard time, but listen, all he's doing is processing through questions. All he's doing is wanting the answers that I believe God wants him to have. As we said earlier, there is a need for us to be honest before the Lord. Honestly, some of y'all have been through junk in your life where instead of pointing your finger at God and being honest with him, you, you bottled it up. And you, you didn't do it. And I, I'm telling you, as, like as your pastor... 
You need to go do that. <laughs> you need to ask God, why did you do this? Like, why are you doing this? Why aren't you stepping in? How long, oh Lord? Why? Ask those same questions. It's not wrong to ask God who he is and why he's doing what he's doing. Now, don't do it arrogantly. <laughs> because what we find in Habakkuk, Habakkuk, after verse 17, I mean, it's bold to point your finger in God's face, but listen to how chapter 2 begins. This is right after, right after he says, are you just going to let them keep going? He says this, okay, I'm going to stand right here at my guard post. I'm going to station myself on the lookout tower and I will watch to see what you say to me and what I should reply. Think about that. I'm guessing that didn't come out like you wanted. You ever been hot and said something in a way that you didn't mean to say? <laughs> this never happened to any of you. I know I'm the only one. Like where you 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 say something, you go that I didn't mean it that way. I, Habakkuk's got to be saying this because think about what he's saying. He says, God, while I'm here watching over your people, while I'm here looking over them, you get your stuff together and then send me what you got because I'm the only one caring. I'm the only one who cares about these people. So he says, I'm on the watchtower. I am guard. I have stationed myself here. I am looking over your people. He's the one at the lookout tower. He's accusing God of not caring for his people. They're just fish in the water, man. And as Habakkuk stands arrogantly on the watchtower, no doubt with his arms crossed and his foot tapping, The answer comes from the Lord. Lord answers him in the very next verse. Hey, I added that part. Hey, write down this vision. And make sure it's real clear. Real clear. I want everybody to be able to read it. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and will not lie Though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. God's helping Habakkuk understand a couple of things in response to his questioning. He's helping him understand, first off, that I think right there at the very beginning, he's saying, man, I'm, I'm about to speak plain and clear to you. I'm about to help you understand something. I don't want anyone to struggle to understand this. And then he helps them understand that Habakkuk's, Habakkuk had an issue with God's timing. You ever question God's timing? Sheesh, man. So many times. If you go back to the first four verses, the very beginning of this, Habakkuk said, How long, O Lord? And he asked another question, Why? Those are the two questions that I think have been on my heart at most times. <laughs> How long, O oh Lord, and why? And God's answer is, wait for it. And when it comes, it'll be right. At the right time. That's what he says. It will certainly come and it won't be a day late. <laughs> God's telling him, man, what you're asking for is what I want. I want to bring justice against this evil nation and it will come one day and it'll be right on my time what we know from history is that the persians rise up and take over the babylonians and deal out god's justice on them it's in the history book 
Habakkuk is learning an important lesson here. He thinks he's up on the high tower and can see all the things that God can't see. But who's higher than Habakkuk? God is the answer. And he's seeing moves that are not even perceptible to the human eye. Isaiah 46.10, God declares through Isaiah, I declare the end from the beginning and from long ago what is not yet done, saying my plan will take place and I will do all my will. You see, God not only sees the end of things from way back here in the very beginning, he's also making decisions way back here that affect way down there. God has a will, a perfect will, and he will see it accomplished. And his timetable is going to be different from ours. I told you guys last week we went to Cracker Barrel. I feel like it's important to tell you this is from the same time. We don't go to Cracker Barrel that much. Um, So I know like, because some of you are listening to the places that I talk about. So when you go to like Love On Us, you give me a gift card to there. Cracker Barrel's fine, but I've got other favorites. Um, So this is the same time. Then we went to Cracker Barrel. Okay, same situation. Um, but Daniel and I, as, as you do, are playing checkers before we get started, right? And Daniel, because he's seven, plays checkers like a crazy person. Uh, it's just wild. It's, it's, we're not thinking about it. If he has an opportunity to jump me, if he sees it, he does, without thinking of what? What's coming back? You know, I'm double jumping you back, man. You weren't paying attention. This is how Daniel plays, how most seven players move. Me, on the other hand, I'm taking my time. I'm letting him jump a couple. Because what I'm doing is one of my strategies is to create a line of checkers that make their way all the way to the king zone so that I can then move a checker. And he can't jump me because there's two side by side. I'd have to show you, okay? But it's my strategy. And then I just peel them out one at a time. And I'm, I'm done. And I'm smoking you. And in our family, we teach our children lessons uh, when we play games. Some of you probably let your children win. That's okay. Uh, I can't point to a Bible verse that says that's wrong, but we don't do that in our house. If we get an opportunity to smoke our kids in a board game, we do it, baby. And, uh, and then we talk about a life lesson at the end, right? We don't gloat about it. But, um, and we, we, they called our name, praise the Lord, that we didn't get to finish the game because, uh, because they did call our name. We got to go sit down, but... Um, I had four kings. I was spread out all across the board. It was about to be ugly. But here's what I say I like to say. I say I like to say, listen, if my 36-year-old mind is that much more advanced than a seven-year-old, how much greater is the mind of our God greater than ours? The God who is eternal, who has always been. He's older than 36. He's been around a minute. Not only is he eternal, we actually know that he is all-knowing. And you see this. How? And I can remember, Daniel's getting frustrated with me. Because that's what we do when we realize that we don't know more than the other person. We get frustrated. And how many times have you and I cried out against God and said, God, you don't see it, man. You don't see what I see. You don't see the, the, the wickedness around me. You don't see the workplace that I have to work in. God, if you did, you would do something. And God's up there going, I don't see. You don't think I see. You remember back to Jonah when we walked through Jonah? 
Remember Jonah telling God, God, you, are you forgetting what all Nineveh has done? Are you forgetting how nasty they are? Are you forgetting how evil these people are? And God goes, are you serious with me right now? What have they done to you? And compare that to what they've done to me. What we talked about that week was that the sins of humanity are not first and foremost against one another. They are against a holy God. And when we come to this situation where where, we're dealing with a God who is all-knowing, Habakkuk comes to the place where I think you and I have to. Because we often act like we know better than God. We can see what he can't. We know something he doesn't quite get yet, but the Bible calls that foolish. Foolish thought. God goes on to explain something very important to Habakkuk in the next verses. He helps him see that even though God uses this wicked nation to accomplish his purpose, they will remain evil. He knows that. And judgment's coming for him. It says in verses 4 and 5, Look, his ego, talking about, talking about uh, Babylon, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity. But the righteous one will live by his faith. Moreover, he says, wine betrays. An arrogant man is never at rest. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol, and like death he is never satisfied. He gathers all the nations to himself. He collects all the peoples for himself. What God is saying is Babylon is going to continue to seek expansion in the blood of its victims and neighbors. Then God, and we don't have time for this, it would be like a whole message in itself, but God talks about five types of evil that judgment is coming for. Verse 6, he says, woe to him who takes from others. Verse 9, he says, woe to him who becomes wealthy through dishonesty. Verse 12, woe to him who builds a city through injustice. Verse 15, woe to him who tricks neighbors to their destruction. And verse 19, woe to him who makes or worships idols. As Habakkuk's going through that, now no doubt he's going, check, 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 check. Babylon's guilty of all of them. And so God's helping him see, man, their judgment is coming. I see their sin too. <laughs> I know they are evil. I know they've mistreated all of humanity who were created in my image. I know, Habakkuk, better than you do that Babylon remains in sin. And God ends his response this way. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent in his presence. Now, this may be a wrong interpretation. I think we called that in the area I grew up in, shut up juice. That's what that was called, shut up juice. Remember that, Clay? Okay, shut up juice. That's God going, say something else. You know what I mean? Like he's laid it all out and then he says, Now, just be quiet a minute. Just be quiet a minute. Let all the earth be silent in my presence. He's saying, what have you got to say now? And what's beautiful is right after this, we see Habakkuk's response, and it's beautiful. What we, see, we, we can give Habakkuk a hard time about his questioning God, but again, these questions are not unique. If you're going to sit here and say you haven't had some of these same thoughts, then I'll call you a liar probably because we've all had similar thoughts. We've had questions about God. I've had them throughout my time as a follower of Jesus, and God has helped me work through them just as he's doing here with Habakkuk. And I didn't tell you. I told you to call out to the Lord and ask those hard questions. I didn't say you'd always like how he answers them. Like Habakkuk here, 
He's put him in his place. He's humbled him. But this is where it leads to. This is point number three if you're taking notes. Finally leads to a place of trusting God's justice. See, Habakkuk has asked all of his questions. And he's, he's pointed his finger at God. And he's made that little comment about being on the tower looking. And God's responded every single time. And he gets to the end and Habakkuk is left with only one thing to do. Nothing else on the table. He worships the Lord. Chapter 3, verse 2. Lord, I've heard the report about you. Lord, I stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. In your wrath, just remember mercy. Habakkuk has now accepted, it seems, how God works in the world. And he goes on to talk about how big God is. He says, his splendor covers the heavens, his earth, the earth is full of his praise. His brilliance is like light rays are flashing from his hand. The earth shake, the mountains break, ancient hills sink down at his command. He commands the rivers, the seas, even the sun and moon are at his disposal. All these things come up in the next verses. Are you seeing a shift in Habakkuk's heart here? This one guy who started off with his chest poked and a finger pointed is now on his knees worshiping God. When we come as broken humans with honest questions to God and we earnestly seek the answers, this is where it leads to growth. Habakkuk finishes his prayer. I heard and I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. And now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against these people. And listen to what he says in the next three verses. Though the fig tree does not bud, there's no fruit on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls. Yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord, my the Lord, my Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. You see in this. Habakkuk says, I get it now, God. Our people deserve judgment. I called for it. And you're going to bring it. And it may not be in the way that I wanted it to come, but I know it's coming and and I'm okay with that, and I believe you that one day Babylon's going to get what's coming to them too. But this part in the, at the end is just so beautiful. He says, in the meantime, as we're taken over and as, as Babylon sweeps in and destroys Jerusalem and the temple and the walls are, are torn down, and many of our people will be taken into exile, and some of us will live here in broken homes and, and just in a mess. Nothing going our way, lacking food and protection. Yet, I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Y'all, that's a man who has grown tremendously. It's a man who in the midst of asking questions met a God who was bigger than all his questions. If you look at it, God didn't necessarily give him a clear and direct answer from, uh, like he wanted. Instead, he was reminded that God is trustworthy and he's big enough to handle our uncertainties and questions. You see, Habakkuk is not too dissimilar from me and you. 
you may or may not have questions right now that as I talk about that, you're like, dude, I got questions. Or I, they're hot on your heart. Some of you probably have those. Things you're afraid to ask. Let's be honest, don't be. Don't be afraid to ask them. All those things. God wants you to ask. God wants you to find answers to those. And as you ask those and as God provides answers, watch as God draws you deeper into your understanding of Him and that will always lead to worship. So there are things in the world that, that we don't understand and we often want to ask the same questions Habakkuk asked in the first section. How long, O Lord, and why? Those things are okay. But as we search for answers we'll find that God is bigger than all those questions and we'll be led to worship and rest in God's providence and His power and trust that His justice is beyond our understanding. But He will work all things towards a just and good end for His creation. Now listen, I don't know what questions are heavy on you today or on the hearts of those you love. Maybe there's people in your life that are asking, that, that, that are wrestling with these things. But I want to seriously, I want you and I want you to tell them, to ask them, talk to God, even during this last song, as we sing one more song, like you don't have to sing along with us, you know that, right? Like this last song, if you're dealing with something, you talk to God, don't sing this song and put off something that's on your heart, don't hold back from God, if you need to point your finger at the ceiling, that's fine, it'll weird people around you out, sure, (laughs) but deal with God during this time. Don't hold back and let us as the church help you work through, find deeper worship of the God behind your questions as we seek answers. So if you want to pray right where you are, you want to come forward to this altar so that other people can be praying with you, that's fine. I'm going to be at the back to talk with you as always. But if you've not yet trusted in Jesus to save you, I would beg you to consider that as well. As Patrick said, there is a salvation greater than being saved from the Babylonians. There's a salvation that comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. Thursday night, uh, we got to, we did our uh, 8U basketball, I survived 8U basketball, y'all. Now on to 8U baseball and 10U softball. (laughs) Anyway, I just survived 8U basketball girls. And we got an opportunity to sit down with all those girls. Some of them go to church, some of them don't. And our head coach asked me on Thursday night, Booster Club Basketball, he said, I want you to share the gospel with them. And I said, let's go. So I got an opportunity to sit down in front of nine girls and their mamas and daddies who were milling around. And I got an opportunity to share with them about how Jesus loved them, loves them. And he, 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 sent his, he loved them so much he sent his son to die on the cross for them. And I told them that, that what you don't realize is that your sin is a big deal and it separates you from God. There's nothing you can do to get back. You can try tomorrow to never sin again. It's going to happen and you're never going to be able to get back to God. I said, but what happened if we could take away that sin? What if, what if all that sin, what if it was paid for? So that's what Jesus did. He paid for our sin on the cross. And I said, so what happens when all the sin that you commit is gone? What's between you and God? And they said, nothing. They did better than y'all. They said, nothing. And I said, exactly. And today, you can believe in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins and that God raised him from the dead. And you can do a jump stop and a reverse pivot and repent of your sins. That's basketball terms. It was an example, right? 
But you can turn from your sin and turn to the Lord and begin to live for Him. And I, if I can share that with a nine-year-old and promise them I can help them with it, surely I can handle y'all. Today, if you need to trust in Jesus, I'm going to be back there. If you need to wrestle with anything, you deal with God. But I'll be back at the back to help you with anything you need from me. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to stand and respond. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity, God, to, 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 to bear your image in the world. And God, we do stink at it so much, God. And that's what so many of these stories in the Minor Prophets are about. But God, I pray that Lindsay Lane East would just be one of those places, God, where, where real people come to worship. God, when all the other churches around maybe putting on faces and putting on fake facades, that Lindsay Lane East continues to be a place where real people can come with real problems and real issues and real questions and that we can help them wrestle with it. God, it's ugly, it's dirty, it's messy, but God, it's what you've called us to be and do. God, help me to lead out in that. God, help our leaders in this church to lead out in that and be honest. And God, I pray that February of next year, if that's when we finish the Minor Prophets, God, that we're a different-looking church because of how you've used these last four messages. I pray that the honesty, God, that we've been talking about today and the last few weeks, God, would just fall in this place and be a character trait of our church for our community. God, help us now to be real and honest. It's in your name I pray, amen.